of like, if I, if this was my last week alive, am I satisfied? And immediately I can pinpoint all the bullshit I let into my schedule. All the things that didn't have to be there that I allowed in, all the obligations that weren't actually obligatory, right? That weren't actually required. All the little things that didn't give me energy, they drained me of energy, right? And then, then it's like, okay, well, next week, those bitches aren't going to be in there. Like I'm going to do everything I feasibly can to make sure that those things that deprived me of this satisfaction don't come up again. Right. And we all have to do shit that's required. We all, you know, there are certain things that are, you know, not really negotiable. Right. But of the things that are within your control to change, that is where I focus. And this retrospective of, you know, one week at a time helps me stay on top of the things that matter and filter out all the things that don't. Hello, beautiful people. On today's podcast, we have Corey Wilkes. Corey is a licensed clinical psychologist with over 15 years of psychological experience, executive coach, writer, entrepreneur, and contributor for Psychology Today. What I love about this conversation is Corey's no-holds-barred authenticity. He's a straight-to-the-point, living-on-the-edge-of-convention kind of guy, which is extremely refreshing. We discuss the topic of freedom, the importance of getting clearer on your core value, and the four horsemen of fear that are holding you back from living the life you truly desire. Corey poses the questions, what do you give a shit about and why do you give a shit about it? He shares that most people die in mediocrity and die regretting it, which flows onto the topic of mortality and how we can use the inevitability of death to live fully. Please enjoy this conversation with Corey. Welcome to To Be Human, Corey. Thanks for having me. So, Corey, I know that core values are extremely important to you personally and in what you coach with. And to my understanding, your current core value is freedom. Currently, what does freedom mean to you? So, for me, freedom includes the freedom to do certain things and the freedom from doing other things Mm. specifically the freedom to spend my time on tasks and projects that are inherently fulfilling for me intrinsically rewarding and the freedom from doing things that just drain me of energy right that and having to dress a certain way having to speak or speak a certain way or do a lot of paperwork. A lot of the things that I used to do in my previous jobs, I didn't have a sense of of freedom. Other words, maybe autonomy, agency, that, you know, flexibility. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm always thinking about anytime I, I take on a new project or an opportunity comes my way, I always ask myself, is this getting me one step closer to or further away from a life aligned with my core value of freedom? Does it increase my freedom or take it away? Because some things in the short term, they seem like a really good idea or they seem like, oh, this is going to you know, bring in a lot of money or you know, people are going to pay me X and that's really good. But if it comes at the cost of sacrificing a lot of like time freedom, or you have to, like I said, jump through a lot of bureaucratic red tape, other things like that, the money may not be worth it, right? So for me, having this this idea of a core value just sort of acts like a compass to help you better assess 
which direction your choices are taking you. And where do you think these core values are derived from? Because I, I was reflecting on this recently, and I would say currently mine is connection. Mm-hmm. And I was reflecting on why that is important to me. And it kind of, for me, I feel like it's because I've sort of known the depth and darkness of disconnection and kind of that extreme element element of knowing the opposite has kind of fueled me to value connection at such a sort of high standard. So kind of, like kind of running on that theme with you, Corey, when was it sort of in your life that you felt like you lacked freedom? <laughs> Throughout my life, right? So <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> I, I was in, well, I mean, I went to college for like 12 plus years, right? And again, I'm speaking specifically for like American colleges and universities, but for the majority of my adult life, it was, you have to do this. You have to check off these boxes in order to move forward, right? So like getting a doctorate, there are very specific competencies and tests and so many other people have to sign off for you to progress. And the only way they sign off for you to progress is for you to jump through their specific hoops, their specific way. Right. So there was very little freedom because it's like you have to take these classes, you have to do X, you have to do Y in order to graduate, become licensed, do whatever. And then I thought, and this is what trips up a lot of people when they go, especially when they go into psychology, is I thought I would have a lot of freedom and autonomy when I became a, a psychologist. But what I actually ended up becoming was just another cog in a machine. Right, which was a, a slap in the face for me because I'm like, you know, I, I went to school for over a decade to be able to go out and kind of do my own thing. But all I was really allowed to do after college was to get a job, you know, working 40 hours a week. I had to do everything a certain way. I had to check off all these boxes. I'm allowed to do this. I'm not allowed to do that. And it was really just more of the same. And it was extra frustrating because not only had I worked that long to gain the sense of freedom that I was denied, but I also knew I had the skill set to be free, to to sort of build my way to freedom, but I wasn't allowed to. So that was when, that was sort of a wake-up call for me was realizing, damn, like I've, I've worked the majority of my adult life to get to this point, and it's pretty much more of the same. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us have, have definitely been there. But to my understanding, Corey, you kind of like you keep up your licensing as a psychologist. Um, so to an extent, you still sort of use that. In looking back, if you had to sort of do it all again, because it's certainly serving you in what you know now, how would you incorporate more of that sense of freedom into sort of more of like, I guess, like an educational experience, for example, where you have to do certain things, particularly at times that you don't necessarily want to, but it's kind of helping you get to that end goal. Is there sort of like a perspective that you would bring in now that you didn't know then? That's a good question. So so specifically, I have a doctorate in clinical psychology. Okay. There are different branches of psychology. There's clinical, there's developmental, there's industrial organizational. There are a bunch of different types of of different branches of psychology. Okay. But to practice therapy, you typically get a, a, a degree in clinical psychology. Okay. 
One of the issues I realized with clinical psychology that, again, I didn't realize until after I got out and and pivoted to, to doing executive coaching is clinical psychology and most of the medical field defines wellness as the absence of illness. But just because you're not sick doesn't mean you're healthy, right? So what we were taught all through school was your job primarily is to help somebody become subclinical, meaning they no longer warrant a diagnosis of whatever, depression, anxiety, addiction, you know, substance use disorder, whatever, right? We were never allowed to help people thrive or flourish. We were only allowed to help them get their head above water. And again, this is specific to the U.S. because we our healthcare system is is super fucked up, right? Um, <laughs> right. It's just it is what it is. <laughs> but with with the with therapy in America, insurance companies only cover therapy until you lose your diagnosis or you become subclinical. So as soon as you're you're you 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 don't qualify for a diagnosis of depression, anxiety, whatever anymore, insurance quit quits paying for therapy. So unless you can afford it out of pocket, you just kind of cut loose without oh, any wow. real support. Okay. Um, another reason why I, I switched to coaching. Now in other countries, it, it may be very different, right? But my experience is what it was. So what I would do differently, and this is what I recommend people do now, anytime like, you know, grad students talk to me or they ask me for career advice or whatever, I would do two things. I would study positive psychology because in a clinical psych program, you, you don't learn anything about positive psychology, right? Because clinical psychology studies illness, pathology, positive psychology studies people who are healthy and well-adjusted and what they do differently to optimize, to flourish, mm-hmm. to thrive, right? That is really what positive psychology is. It is very strengths-based, identifying their strengths, helping people double down on those and get the most out of life rather than just trying to survive, okay? Mm-hmm. That is the first thing that I would do because we got none of that in in my in my entire twelve plus years of college. We never got that. Okay. The other thing that I would do, and I recommend this for for especially for coaches to to um, differentiate yourself from competition things, is I would write online. I do now, but I would have started writing online years sooner. Okay, because you know the 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 traditional way is go to school, get a a certification, a a credential, a something, and then just, you know, turn all of that into your resume or or your CV, right? And then anytime you want to get a job, you know, throw your CV at as many people as possible. But when you write online, when you share your ideas, those become, um, there's a guy's name is David Perel. He has a, a, a writing course called Rite of Passage. And in that, David talks a lot about this concept of creating serendipity vehicles, okay? Um, Another way you may have heard it is increasing your luck surface area. And all this means is every time you write online, that piece, whether it is a thread, an article, a podcast episode, something, every time you create content online to share your ideas and your expertise, that has a chance of going out into the world on your behalf and getting in front of other people. And then now other people get attracted to you, your work, your way of thinking, your way of approaching issues, the world, whatever. And now opportunities start coming your way. Okay. So that's why I highly recommend, because everybody is sitting on something, some, some unique perspective, some 
you know, just obsessive interest or passion that you have or expertise or something. You don't have to have a doctorate. Like there's plenty that everybody is plenty of information and passion that everybody is sitting on that you can turn into content. And you don't have to get in front of a camera. That's fine if, if you have issues with that. But you can write. You can write something. Your, your grammar doesn't have to be perfect. None of that. Just convey your information and how you think and approach the world. Because when you do that and you hit publish, now that piece of content goes out into the world and works for you and will attract opportunities your way. That, that's job security, right? Because... You no longer have to say, well, if I get fired from this job, then I have to go into the job market and throw my CV at everybody. When you have been writing articles or putting out content, more and more people are going to start following you or coming across you or hitting you up to be a podcast guest or something like that, right? That gives you much more flexibility and freedom to do things your way rather than always being beholden to a singular employer or singular school or something like that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And in relation to these goals, like say, if you want to be a therapist or a coach or a writer or all of the above, <laughs> as you have been, I know that um, knowing our core value in relation to setting goals um, can be extremely helpful. How do we begin to sort of figure out what this core value, what this sort of true north is for us? Well, there are a couple of ways of doing it. Um, <clears throat> and, and first off, the reason I, I talk about a core value rather than like your eight values or yeah. the eight domains, and you have one value for each of these domains of like, you know, health, wealth, relationships, spirituality, whatever, those are fine. But for me, it just, it makes it complicated because now you've got to keep yeah. track of like eight different values. For me, the core value is a distillation, right? Of, of everything that fundamentally resonates with you of what a life well-lived must be built around, mm -hmm. right? So again, like, you know, with my example of, of like freedom, it's not just freedom to like, no, never have to wear a polo and khakis again. Cause I, fucking hate khakis <laughs> and, and, you know, the freedom to, to wear pajama pants all day. Right. Yeah. It's also the freedom to connect with people, the freedom to go and visit my family three hours away anytime I want, right. The freedom to never have to worry about if I'm going to get fired because of the, the things that I've built, right. What, whatever that freedom is, right. The freedom to, to go out at, at noon and, and make lunch with, with my girlfriend or something. Right. Cause I don't have to go into an office necessarily. That's what freedom looks like to me. Right. Um, so a couple ways of sort of clarifying your core value, you can, I mean, you can look up like, you know, um, like a value, like a, a card sort, like, you know, top 10, you know, pick your top 10 and then rank them, whatever you can do that. Um, I'm a fan of what one question I think that can be helpful for people is to just sort of bypass intellectualism. Right. So just ask yourself fundamentally, what do you give a shit about and why do you give a shit about it? Right? So again, I'll use myself as an example. What do I give a shit about? I give a shit about the fact that so many people let fear stop them from pursuing a, a fulfilling life. Right? Well, why do I give a shit about that? I give a shit about that because several years ago, I had a, a friend who had been an attorney, you know, the majority of his life. And he, but he was, he was actually passionate about being an author. 
So over the last couple of years, he had quit practicing law and went all in on writing this book. Book had a lot of potential. So far, everybody was really enjoying it. He was like the most alive he had been in, in years. And then one day he went to the doctor and he got diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Two weeks later, he was gone, right? Shortly after that, I had another friend, similar thing. He had dreamed about being a writer throughout you know, the majority of his life and had finally gone back to get a degree in like creative writing. And it was halfway through a memoir and had like a freak heart attack or something, died. Had a third friend, like boom, boom, boom. Third friend had worked a nine to five. And I'm not demonizing nine to fives. There's nothing wrong with the job, right? But for her, she had worked a job she wasn't passionate about. She didn't really enjoy it. And she decided to retire early to enjoy her health. Within the year, she she was diagnosed with a terminal illness and now is just, you know, on long-term palliative care, right? So for me, I was pissed off because I'm like, fuck, man, so many people dream of a better life. They, they, they daydream about it. They think about it, but they let all these fears and all, the, all this mental baggage and bullshit get in their way of doing work that matters to them. So that's what I give a shit about and why I give a shit about it, right? Like that is my like fundamental why, right? So Part of my core value, yes, it's it's freedom for me, but it's also the ability to help other people achieve their version of freedom through using my skill set, through using my knowledge or whatever, to empower people to overcome their limiting beliefs and and go out and do work that matters for them. Right. So those two questions, and I, I phrase them that way specifically: what do you give a shit about and why do you give a shit about it? Because it bypasses all the intellectualism. Right. It's it's hard. Like, think about it. Like if you're, you know, if you drink, if you're a couple drinks in at the bar with a friend, that's the mindset, the, the headspace you need to be in. Right. Of just like, you're not giving a presentation. You're not trying to, to, you know, make sure your words are all perfect. Just what do you give a shit about? Right. Why do you give a shit about it? Right. Just from, like from, from the gut answer it that way. Yeah. And you can get a lot of clarity. Yeah. Absolutely. Love that. Cause you're so right. I feel like with these, um, <clears throat> These questions of sort of like, what is your core value? People can, yeah, definitely overthink it. And they they really sort of like, they almost think there's like a right or wrong answer to it. And it's really about that sort of inner knowing. It's like, well, what do you give a shit about? And I, I truly think this can change too, right? It's like, what do you give a shit about right now and why? And don't put too much pressure on it to be, this is what's going to guide you for the rest of your life. It might change throughout life as you change, which I think is really important. And I love that you mentioned limiting beliefs because I want to go into this space, Corey, because I know that this is a large part of the coaching, the work that you do. Can you explain what the four horsemen are? Yeah. So I just call them the four horsemen of fear. Um, These are the four most common limiting beliefs that I see hold people back from a better life whatever that better life looks like for you. So the first one is fear of failure, right? That's the one everybody's familiar with. Everybody's, you know, you're well aware of when you're afraid to fail or when you're afraid that something won't work out. The next one is fear of ridicule, right? So this is where you, you say, well, I want to do this, but what will my friends and family think? How will other people react? What will my boss say? Right, this criticism, this fear of ridicule, what other people may say or how they may judge you, right? The third one is fear of uncertainty. And this is the one where you kind of feel like you're at a fork in the road and you say, which direction is right for me? Which, if you're trying to to write, which writing software should I use? Which writing book should I read? Which gym should I go to, right? Like which 
productivity system is perfect for me. Right. And you, this is where like analysis paralysis kicks in, right? Because you're so afraid to make the wrong decision that you make no decision. You just sit there and like, you know, just think about all the different ways and you go down these YouTube, you know, rabbit holes and you just, it takes you three weeks to just research something, but you never take action. Right. Right. Um, and we've all been there. I get it. Yeah, totally. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, which microphone should I buy for the podcast? Right? Yeah, yeah, all that totally. shit. yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, and then you realize uh, it just doesn't matter at the start. Yeah, and you, yeah, exactly. And you can always buy another one later. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I'm about to upgrade mine. Yeah, and then the, the the fourth one, which seems weird at first, is fear of success. Right? And maybe like, why would I be afraid to achieve the thing I claim to want? Right. The issue with fear of success is, <clears throat> for a lot of people, if you've never achieved major success. Success represents a before and after state. Okay. There's post success you and pre success you. If you've never achieved it, if you've never crossed that threshold, the only version of you that you know is pre success. Post success you, they could become corrupt by, corrupted by power and influence. They could lose their motivation. They could maybe they've peaked in life and now you've peaked at 25. What the fuck does the rest of your, look like, your life look like? Right. Right. And other people, they have this personal narrative that says, I don't deserve success for whatever reason. Right. I'm broken. I'm not good enough. I'm not whatever enough. Right. I don't deserve success. So when you start to approach success, you self-sabotage. You do things that that pull you away from success so that you don't risk becoming corrupted by power and influence, so that you don't risk getting something you believe you don't deserve, right? All these other things. These are what the four horsemen are, are these four most common limiting beliefs that hold us back. I want to talk to you in relation to fear of ridicule, because uh, this, this is certainly a big one that I have experienced. And I know that um, Theodore Roosevelt's speech, Man in the Arena, has been really important to you. And certainly I feel like for me that has just been absolutely life-changing, um, being able to connect with that speech in, in terms of this fear of ridicule. And I actually heard you share yesterday, I was listening to a podcast and you were talking about someone else, you were quoting someone else you would know, um, that was kind of suggesting that, you know, the people that criticize us are generally the people that are doing less than us. And I really loved that. I thought that is so extremely insightful. Can you share more about that line of thinking? Yeah. So the the full quote, I think, from Nipsey Hussle is, you will never be criticized by somebody doing more than you. Mm -hmm. You will only be criticized by somebody who's doing less than you. Right. Right? And early on, so like, you know, long story short, I didn't intend to go into coaching at first, right? Like I, I was doing the therapy thing, got burnt out, got fired. A lot of other things happened and then decided to not go back to therapy and went full on into coaching, entrepreneurship, writing, all that other stuff. And one thing that we can go more to that at some point if you want, but one of the, the things that I quickly realized wasn't helpful is I would run my ideas, my business ideas by people that I knew who weren't entrepreneurs. Mm. 
Cause it's like, Oh, well, if I can create, if I can come up with this ironclad, perfect plan that nobody can poke holes in, then that's what I'll do. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Like I right. was I grew up <laughs> poor as fuck. I didn't know any entrepreneurs, yeah, like yeah. nothing. Right? <laughs> and I'll just, you know, all this shit that I've learned, I've fucking Googled the last year. And right. Half, right? <laughs> so, and too much YouTube. <laughs> and a lot of YouTube. Yeah. And yeah. But early on, I was like, okay, I'll run it by all these other people. And people would criticize me and they try to poke holes in it. And then eventually I realized these motherfuckers don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like right. they've never actually done it. But then when I, you know, I, I got online, I started, you know, trying to grow a following and connecting with other people, especially on Twitter. I met other entrepreneurs. I met other content creators, writers, things like this. And then when I would run ideas by them, they would all be like, dude, that sounds fucking awesome right? Just start. Then you can always, you know, you can iterate from there, right? But just get going. Like, that's a great idea, right? You just need to do it. And I realized, and ever since then, anytime I've ever been criticized by any, and I don't mean constructive feedback, right? Constructive right. feedback is, is separate. But anytime somebody has talked shit to me or about me, they have never done anything with their own life, right? Like I've been on other podcasts. I've been, I've, I've shared a bunch of other content, things like that. And anytime people in the comments or people they'll hit me up or something, anytime it is a super negative comment, they're usually some sort of just troll or just miserable shit back, right? Where they hate themselves and their own situation, but they're trying to scapegoat. They're trying to take it out on somebody else, mm-hmm. but all of the people, but I never get crit- And most of us, we never get criticized by people who are actively building because people who are actively building are too fucking busy to sit yeah, around and troll building. the internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, and right. even like when somebody talks shit to me, like most of the time I'm like, I'm too busy to take the 30 seconds out of my life that it would require for me to respond to you. Like I will, I will allot that to somebody who, who is caring, compassion and wanting to forge a relationship, but you're just trying to talk shit and get attention. I don't have fucking time for you. Yeah. And that, and, and when you come into the space, that is super important to realize is that anytime you are ridiculed, you need to ask yourself, are the, the think of the source of where of the ridicule, right? Like the, who the message is coming from. Is that person somebody you want to be more like? Answers typically no. And then is that person somebody you want in your corner? The answer is right. also typically no, right? Because people who are in your corner are not going to criticize you like that. And the people who do criticize you, by definition, aren't in your fucking corner. So their opinion is irrelevant. Where are you with that? Because obviously it's one thing not to respond and to give those people time. But, you know, sometimes, you know, life happens and someone might just say something at the wrong time on the wrong day for you to kind of feel it a little bit more than usual. What is sort of your mindset on days like that, where it may for some reason kind of hit you in a different way? Yeah. Cause I mean, we, you know, we all have insecurities and sometimes shit right. just lines up just right to where yeah, you yeah. Know, it hits you right. <laughs> in the gut, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I'm a big fan of like stoicism and, and Buddhism and things. And so I, a couple of things, anytime I, I, I hear criticism that may have a, a, a little sliver of you know, validity to it. I ask myself, does this apply to me? Like, is this something that I should actually listen to or take into consideration? Even if it is from somebody who is a shitbag, is there truth in, in, in their words? 
So I tried to, to appraise it as neutrally as possible. And then from there to be like, no, there's just a fucking shit bag. Fuck them. Or they're a shit bag, but they have a point. Now I still don't typically like respond to them because ultimately fuck them. Right. But, and that's me. I'm oppositional, right? That's just, that's part of my personal like, <laughs> Fuck them. Right? Fuck yeah, <laughs> but if, if, if there is a, if there's truth in it, then I say, okay, let me take that back with me, you know, and, and let me take it to the lab. Right. Let, let me, let me, you know, sort of play around with it and see how I can build on this and use this as fodder to improve myself or the things that I'm putting out there. Right. So I try to, to appraise it as neutral as possible, but some days, yeah. Like you have just this one insecurity and there's that one right. motherfucker who found yeah, it yeah. and wanted to poke <laughs> it. Right. Yeah. And, and that is where it really, it's super important to have a community that you can go to that you can bounce ideas off of, right? Whether it is like you took a course and there's like a membership community as part of it, or there's just like this, you know, casual low key mastermind group you form with a couple of people you met online, whatever that is, having that camaraderie, that community that you can go to, that you can feel safe and supported and, and, and just process some of this shit is super, super important. Cause like I said, for me, like I, I don't have a business background, everything I've learned, I've Googled and YouTube, and then I've met awesome people online. Right. And those people have been instrumental in helping me get to where I am today because either they gave me feedback or advice or just knowing that people like that exist knowing that people can make a living by creating content or, or, or building their own business and things like that, just knowing that that's possible. And I know somebody who's actively doing it to yeah. make it concrete helped keep me motivated and helped keep me going when insecurities and all this bullshit would try to stop me. I think it sort of goes back to that man in the arena speech, isn't it? This is how I kind of visualize it is like, go find your people that are in the arena and listen to them and their feedback, whether it be constructive or just sort of positive. Um, but, you know, everyone always has people in the cheap seats, as sort of Brene Brown says, you know, there will always be people watching you, ready to criticize. But if they're not in the arena themselves, they're not worthy of your time or for you to sort of listen to them, which has always really helped me. So I definitely agree in finding that community that's in a similar space to you that you can all kind of bounce off, off each other and feel and understand that you're sort of all in this together, even though you're sort of doing your own sort of separate thing. Yeah, there are two types of people overall that I, I take feedback from, right? Other than like, you know, loved ones or something. And even that is sparingly depending on the context. Yeah. <laughs> People who are actively doing what I'm trying to do. So they're a couple steps ahead of me or people who have already paid me money, right? Like, like students, customers, things like that. If they're the ones and they say, Hey man, this would be better if you, if you made X change, cool. You've already paid me money. I'm going to listen to your feedback versus if you're somebody that's like, Hey, yeah, I have, you know, I'm kind of thinking about this, but it'd be really cool if you did X. I don't give a fuck what you say. Cause you, you, like you, 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 you know, you don't have skin in the game, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's the thing, right. and that's a, a really big thing to take into account is, and this is what a lot of people um, make a mistake when they're early on in trying to create a product or start a business is they ask people, Hey, what would you like? And then they get all of this feedback from people who have no skin in the game. They haven't like pre-ordered it. They didn't pre-enroll. 
anything like they've never paid money for it. And then you just get, you know, this, this avalanche of, of feedback and it's always different from, it's always like polar opposite from one person to the next. And then you try to build this thing. And then these people don't buy it, mm-hmm. right? If I'm going to create a product, I'm going to say, Hey, everybody, I'm thinking about building this. Here's a quick outline. If you want it, buy it, like go ahead and like, you know, pre-order it now. Now they've committed and now their feedback, their vote has way, way more weight behind it than just some random person on the internet. And you mentioned stoicism before, and I know that um, you recommend a lot of sort of Ryan Holiday books. Why do you think this sort of line of philosophy has sort of resonated with people so well? It's very practical, very applied, and very mm. simple to understand, right? Like I, like I took like a philosophy class in, in college and legitimately the only reason I passed with a B was because the professor had a heart attack the day of the final. I had no idea what the fuck was going on the entire class, like the, the whole semester, right? Cause it was shit like, is a tree a tree? And how do you know? And this is what Descartes <laughs> said. And I'm just like, what the fuck? I don't, even, I don't even understand what we're saying in class, let alone <laughs> how, how it like actually applies to anything. Right. And I'm not saying philosophy like that isn't useful. I'm sure it is fucking somehow, but I am much more interested in what are the day-to-day mental models and questions I can ask myself and perspectives that I can take that put everything in context and help me get out of my own way and gain the clarity I need to move forward. And for me, that includes things like stoicism. Yeah, well, moving into that, uh, I know that a concept, memento mori, is something that you talk about. And to my understanding, it's Latin for remember that you will die. So I want to know, Corey, how can we use mortality as a motivator to live fully? You did a lot of good research for this interview. Good job. Um <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, for, for people who are watching this, right. So like I have a skull in the background, my entire like right tattoo sleeve is, is dedicated to the concept of memento more. Like I'm a big, you know, proponent of reminding yourself that everything will end, right. Like both obviously your own life, but even something simple as like, if you have kids, right. Not necessarily like going to the extent of like thinking, thinking about how your kids may die one day, which they, they can. And Ryan holiday has even talked about like with his own kids, but more so like this will end like they there will come a time when they are no longer children so let me cherish these memories as we're making them while they're children right because eventually they're going to grow up and be adults and go be doing their own things and i'm going to look back and wish i had savored this moment more right little things like that is remember it will end right like that that is what memento more means to me taking it a step further um a while back shortly after i left the therapy world Um, long story short, I got an infection that I didn't realize was an infection. I thought it was like a hairline fracture. So I just kind of tried to walk it off and cause that's just who I am apparently. And (laughs) it eventually became a life threatening infection. So I went to the hospital and they're like, yeah, if it has gotten into your bloodstream or your bones, you could die. I was unresponsive to antibiotics. And because this was like peak COVID, it took over a day to get me into 
surgery because all the beds were full, right? So I'm sitting, I'm laying there in a, in a hospital bed, unresponsive to any of the medication, no idea because the labs hadn't come back and, and who knows what's going to happen, right? And that night, we finally got me um, into the hospital to get prepped for surgery. Surgery was scheduled for the next day. <clears throat> so that night, I laid in the, the hospital bed alone because you couldn't have visitors because of COVID. And with only like the occasional nurse to check my vitals and this like big ass beeping machine to keep me company. And our, and again, labs hadn't come back yet. I had no idea if I was going to fucking die. <clears throat> Spoiler alert. Clearly I didn't, but um, I remember thinking, what if this had been my last week of life? Right. Because I could die tonight, tomorrow in a couple of days. <clears throat> and that was when I realized that like, this is a, a much more helpful thought exercise than the one you typically hear of, well, if you had 30 days to live, what would you do? That isn't really helpful because if you know what's going to happen, you can go out with a bang, right? You can fucking party it up, throw a bunch of money at shit, go to Vegas, whatever (laughs) like that. That isn't nearly go skydiving, whatever. Like that isn't nearly as, as, as helpful for you versus saying, if I can't change anything, let me take a retrospective and, and look back at the last week of my life, what could have been the last week of my life and say, am I satisfied with how I spent my time? For me that day, my answer was yes, because I had, I had, I was writing, I had spent time with loved ones. I had trained, you know, gone to the gym, trained martial arts, you know, did, you know, connected with a lot of people, did fulfilling work. So for me, it was great. Obviously I didn't want that to be my last week, but if it had been, I was satisfied with how I was going to go out. Right. And for me, I, I just, I kind of do that every week, right. Of like, if I, if this is my last week alive, am I satisfied? And immediately I can pinpoint all the bullshit I let into my schedule, all the things that didn't have to be there that I allowed in all the obligations that weren't actually obligatory, right. That weren't actually required all the little things that didn't give me energy. They drained me of energy. Right. And then, then it's like, okay, well, next week, those bitches aren't going to be in there. Like I'm going to do everything I feasibly can to make sure that those things that deprived me of this satisfaction don't come up again. Right. And we all have to do shit that's required. We all, you know, there are certain things that are, you know, not really negotiable. Right. But of the things that are within your control to change, that is where I focus. And this retrospective of, you know, one week at a time helps me stay on top of the things that matter and filter out all the things that don't. Yeah, I, I really reflected on this yesterday and, and thank you for providing the opportunity to reflect on this because I was thinking like, you know, you were talking about your four horsemen of fear and it's like when we truly get that experience of facing death because obviously just by virtue of being alive, we, in every second we're facing that, but to really get to that moment, it's interesting how it's like the biggest fear can kind of cancel out all the others and if anything make them feel so small so it's like that fear of somebody saying something about you or that fear of uncertainty or the fear of success they all seem so insignificant to that fear of death and that fear of I think regret because I know even you speak about um, I think about 76% or something of all people sort of on their deathbed had a similar regret that is sort of in line with fearing a life of mediocrity. Can you speak more to that? Yeah. So basically, you know, the, the majority of people 
live in mediocrity and die regretting it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the main reason so many, and defining what mediocrity is right to me, mediocrity is allowing yourself to not live up to your specific potential, Mm -hmm. whatever that means for you. Right. So mediocrity isn't any specific thing. It's more so you didn't do what you were capable of doing right? Thus you were mediocre. You didn't make an impact. You didn't, you know, come alive. You didn't flourish. That is mediocrity. So many people live in mediocrity because of shit like fear, limiting beliefs, self-sabotaging behaviors, and getting caught up in, you know, like the, the quote unquote, the rat race, right? Like always chasing this carrot on the stick of more, 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 let me, you know, be, be the good son or, you know, the good wife or the good, whatever. And, and, uphold these societal or family expectations of me rather than thinking about what do I want? What impact do I want to make on the world? What legacy do I want to leave behind? Those are the questions that yield way better information than, well, what am I supposed to do? What did my, you know, what do my parents expect me to do? Right? So that is in my mind, like that is why so many people live in this, you know, live in mediocrity. And then when they get to their deathbed and there's no more time, all they do is look back on a lifetime with regret because we regret the things we don't do way more than the things we do, right? Like if you do something and it ends up being the wrong thing to do overall, most of the time we can make amends if we have to, but the shit that you didn't do 20 years ago, there's no way to make that up. It's 20 years ago. So we regret what we haven't done, what we didn't do way more than what we did that we feel we shouldn't have. Yeah. I love it. It's such a good reminder. It's such a good reminder. And I want to talk to you about this sense of obligation because I actually have written here um, out of one of your beautiful articles. Uh, You said, most of the things we feel obligated to do are optional. You can prioritize your well-being. You can set boundaries. You can say no. I loved this. Because you just, you simplify things so well. Why do you think it is that people have such a problem with prioritizing their well-being, with being able to set boundaries and with being able to just say no? For a lot of people, I mean, you know, obviously it depends, but for a lot of people, it comes down to, to this idea. If you have a house what is the function of building a fence or of locking your door? Right. And that, that usually people can answer They're like, Oh, well to, to keep people out. Right. But the, the answer underneath that is we put up boundaries, a fence, locking the door, whatever, because what is inside we deem worth protecting. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is one of the reasons why so many people struggle to set boundaries because we had these, toxic personal narratives or these insecurities or these negative core beliefs that we don't deem ourselves worthy of protecting, worthy of prioritizing. So some people suck at self-care because they feel like self-care is selfish and to be selfish is, is is fucking horrible. So because (laughs) I don't value myself and my own needs, my own desires, it's hard for me to uphold this boundary because a boundary is only meant to protect what's inside. If I don't feel I'm worth protecting, there's no reason to set a boundary. So I have porous boundaries. I become a fucking doormat that I let everybody walk all over me because I'm more concerned with other people rejecting me or, or inconveniencing other people 
than taking care of myself. So I will work myself ragged. I will spread myself so thin and do so many things out of this perceived sense of obligation and duty that I just kind of become a, a, an empty husk of a human being because I never prioritize myself. I never take care of myself and I never put myself above all the bullshit that's always trying to come my way. And how do you think we differentiate that between self-care and looking after ourselves and sort of going after the life that we truly want to live? And then this sense of selfishness, because obviously, you know, if we're, we have a partner or we have a family, we have obligations at work, how do we kind of, where's the line? Where do you think the line is? How do we manage that? Yeah, so the classic you know, metaphor people use is like if the plane's going down or some shit, you need to put your own mask on before you help right. other people. Because yeah. if you don't put yours on, you're going to pass the fuck out and not be able <laughs> to help anybody else, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have to like to take care of yourself is how you take care of other people, right? Another metaphor is you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you are truly dedicated to being selfless, if you pour out everything you have to everybody else, eventually you run out and have nothing left to give other people. You have to eventually take the time to step back and replenish yourself to then be able to go out and be selfless again the next day, right? Like you, you know, nobody, nobody would think it's in any way sane to say, okay, well, I have to feed my family so I can't fucking eat ever. Like eventually you have to eat. Maybe you let them eat first. Maybe you let them eat more, but you can't starve and continue to provide for your family. You literally fucking can't, right? Like you, you have to sleep, you have to eat, you have to take a day or take an hour to recenter your mind, right? Something as simple as like, if you have kids or something and they're, they're always, you know, running around everywhere, there's shit on a wall somewhere, whatever it is, like you, you can't be attentive to them 24 seven, if you never take the time to recenter yourself and take care of yourself, right? That's why you see so many parents, especially younger parents, they're just fucking run ragged because they just, they're always responsive and they don't take a second or a minute or two to recenter. But the parents who look happy, who seem, you know, they don't look like fucking zombies. Those parents typically are doing some form of self-care. Right. And that applies for, for any endeavor. You have to take care of yourself if you actually care about other people. Where do you think a good start is to do that? If we sort of go out today and we're going to, we're going to sort of have that sense of self-care, self-focus that we normally don't have, what's the sort of good starting point? First, you have to redefine self-care, okay? And this is what trips a lot of people up. They think that self-care is getting a fucking mani-pedi or yeah, yeah. fucking champagne <laughs> and shit at the spa, right? Yeah, <laughs> that can be, right? Like that mm. maybe, but self-care can also be taking a five-minute walk alone, mm. right? Again, like for parents, it may be taking a piss with the door shut. <laughs> like a lot right, of parents right. talk about like, can't even do that, right? Yeah. It, you know. It, it, it doesn't need be, to be something extraordinary. Exactly. It may be yeah. something as simple as, as, you know, writing an article or writing an outline for an article that allows you to get your thoughts onto a page, right? It may be reading a couple pages of a book, right? These are all little things. You can download a fucking meditation app or listen to a song every now and then. It's just, just you and the music, right? These are very, very small things that 
everybody, regardless of how busy you are, you can fit this in. Right now, if you if you have the availability and you know the the resources to do these you know longer, more drawn out things, cool. But you don't have to go to a fucking thirty day silent retreat to, <laughs> to get more in tune with yourself. That, yeah. that that's cool if you want to do it. But you can also take three minutes and walk around you know the block or something and just right. take a breath. Put, put the phone down. Yeah. 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 It's a big one. Well, thanks. Thanks, Corey, for this beautiful conversation. Love it. Love, love authentic you, Corey. Um, you certainly have an amazing personality. It's been absolute pleasure to have a chat. Thank you. I'm down to come back anytime. This is great. Thanks. Well, on a final note, Corey, I'd love to ask you, what does it mean to you to be human? You make the most of the time you have, whatever mm -hmm. that means for you. Right, that may be dedicating yourself to your family, to writing a book, to doing a podcast, right? To whatever it is. To be human is to make the most of the time you have left, whatever that looks like for you.